Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, thank you for revealing to us things to come. Father, help us to pray about all things and um, get your direction. Everybody needs to be in the right place at the right time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father. All right. Well, speaking of time, time is running out. That's what we're going to talk about today. In the first revelation, I'm going to share something I shared a little bit of uh, with our local, but um, I'm going to expand it a little today. Um, Earthquake sign of the coming of the man-child. And by the way, quite a few other things too. Judgment against the wicked, so on and so forth. Okay. When uh, Turkey's Erdogan spoke of getting out of the deep state, NATO, uh, Turkey and Syria lost, um, well, I think the last I heard was like 28,000 or something like that people. Uh, it may be far beyond that because I haven't really covered it lately. But And so far, and this was actually from tectonic earthquake weapons of the deep state, the earthquake war has started. And also the earth plates are being moved by God, Ken Dewey said on 2.6.23. And this is what God said to him. I am shaking many things and moving things in the ground around, rearranging them. Many changes are happening suddenly. Uh, get ready for the time of my great miracles which are come, and many will move to do exploits for me. Amen. Well, we know the Lord is coming to lead the bride with miracles as this earthquake war proceeds. Well, we just saw the New York, Alabama fault, uh, which I'm going to put a picture of here on this uh, text, uh, being uh, triggered by explosions. And that's, uh, we, we, uh, years ago, Sandy Shaw and Rick Sergeant saw the large earthquakes across the country and that they would start, that they were prepared by the deep state, um, to go. In other words, prepared for when the planet X passed by, it would, um, it would, uh, cause a catastrophe that they wanted designed their way, right? So all along the fault line quakes um, on this picture, we see that there are 10 kilometer deep. This shows that they're not natural earthquakes, uh, but the deep state is attempting to make that fault fail with explosions all along it. And this is a uh, tunnel depth, 
So they probably ran a tunnel down the fault line to weaken it and then set off explosions down the line. And fault lines are being bombed to make them fail. Um, by that and fracking, they are preparing the cracks to go where they want. Right, we've got on our site somewhere where they fracked in a perfectly straight line from the northeast all the way down into Texas. Um, it was designed that way, you know. Fracking, of course, hydraulically separates the rocks and everything else, and it's very powerful, and it sets up uh, a, a fault is what it does. By that and the fracking, they are preparing the cracks to go where they want, and also a land tide from Planet X would set the faults off that they that they weakened, and they know where Planet X is. So Missy said, by the way, most of those earthquakes shown on the map are unconfirmed. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute why. Ten kilometers deep and uh, Dutch Dutch sense isn't showing most of them on his reports that I've seen. And that's because they're not all earthquakes. Um, if they're all 10 kilometers deep, they're not natural earthquakes, but explosions to prepare the route of the earthquakes down the east side of the country. All explosions may not show up as earthquakes because there's a totally different signature uh, an explosion is a sudden spike, you know, and uh, whereas an earthquake uh, gradually works up and then gradually works back down. So they know when these are earthquakes and when they're not, you know. But, but explosions under the ground, of course, can cause many earthquakes too. So this map of those earthquakes uh, shows them going down the New York-Alabama fault line all the way to the Gulf. What's the chances? <laughs> None that that could happen naturally because those explosions are shown all the way down there. And that's where uh, Sandy Shaw and Rick Surgent dreamed the earthquakes across the country would start. And, uh, for example, uh, Charlie and Linda, uh, friends of ours uh, who live on the east end of uh, Tennessee, watched from their mountain the deep state military used ground-penetrating bombs down in the valley of the fault line in East Tennessee. They watched from their high vantage point. They're going down the fault line, bombing the fault line. And then they came back after bombing the fault line and uh, because they saw the fire coming up out of the ground wherever they dropped these ground-penetrating bombs. And... Um, the fault line, um, and then they came back with helicopters to circle each bombed spot to check out the movement of the earth. I'm sure that's what they were doing, probably with GPS. So these bombs were to weaken the fault line for a future separation in a real earthquake. Okay. And we have the map here. You can look at the, the uh, explosions all the way down towards the gulf. Okay. Also, um, on this map, we can see the uh, preparation for the New York-Alabama fault to slip in a coming earthquake. And according to these dreams, this was the first to quake of the great quakes across this country. 
uh, of course, if Planet X passes by as the Earth turns, it's going to have earthquakes all the way around the Earth. So from here, the plates uh, were moving, and uh, the new Madrid was next, and then it would go to the West Coast, and at the same time to our area um, of East Tennessee. So when uh, Jesus, as the man-child of his day, died, there was an earthquake. And when he resurrected and was caught up to the throne of God, there was a great earthquake. All this is a type and shadow of things to come, the things that have been or the things that shall be. Okay. Since history always repeats, uh, we will see the same thing happen for Jesus in the man-child of our day. And I believe this map shows uh, that the first quake that happened will be smaller, and then three days later, the great earthquake is the New Madrid. And, of course, that's Resurrection Day. Okay. So the first earthquake at the uh, death of the crucified man-child, Matthew twenty-seven fifty through 54, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake. And the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after this resurrection. Well, the resurrection was three days later, but now they're talking about the first earthquake, okay? And and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And now uh, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So the second great earthquake is um, at the catching up to the throne. Matthew 28, uh, 1 and 2, and then 6. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. There it is, the great earthquake. I believe that's the new Madrid, okay? For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. In verse 6, And he is not here, the angel said. He is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Amen. So, um... This is a revelation given to Ken Dewey on 2-6-23. Uh, sudden shaking, beginning a new day. Yes, indeed. This uh, very morning, before I could leave out again for Desert Zion, I heard the Lord say, write this down. I want you to know that when I hear him say that, I know that he is fixing to say something important, so I get ready to write. And this is what he said. I am shaking many things and moving things in the ground around, rearranging them. Many changes will come suddenly. Get ready for the time of my great miracles are come, and many will move to do exploits for me. 
And this is because, of course, Jesus, the miracle worker, (laughs) comes in the man-child in the midst of these quakes. Well, when mankind uh, needs him the most, right, when they're crying out to God, amen. He went on to say, much work, Moses man, much work, for now you're soon leaving out to speak again to the Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. Get great deliverance. Amen. Men will not know what is happening, for they will run in fear and saying, The great day of my wrath has come. But the end is yet to come, for only a new age in time has begun, leading into that great day. Amen. Many have misunderstood my revelation, not knowing the coming time, but now... Many who have waited to see and have seen with their eyes to see will be free to run in great strength. For those who thought they were out of time will see a new day in which to work. Yes, we work when things like this happen because then people turn to the Lord. Then people cry out to the Lord. And of course, He answers. Press in, believe me, only march at my choice, and I will lead you forward, and great will be the day. I am that I am, and nothing can stop me from doing all I have promised that I would do. Trust me, walk with me, work with me. Well, he has given us many promises about these days, and we're expecting a great work to start then. Uh... I think there's a couple of revivals going on out there. Uh, I don't think that the Holy Spirit has been poured out yet on them, but uh, the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit, uh, but we should be praying for that now. Yeah. Many will be taken and many left. I speak not of a rapture, (laughs) but of a time of great protection, a day of separation. Look not back only Move forward, press in. So uh, actually he's going to separate the earth, which has two meanings, of course, the dirt itself and the people. Many will come up under me in my secret place, for I will cover them with my wings. I am preparing a place for them. Yeshua. Well, let me say that Jesus comes in the man-child reformers of our day with earthquakes. Isaiah 62 and 10 says, Go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones. That sounds much like the John the Baptist repentance ministry before the earthquakes, because that's when it happened, before the earthquakes came in Jesus' day. Lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, that's the bride, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his, that's Jesus, meaning uh, the Lord is salvation, right? Thy salvation cometh, Jesus. Uh, Reward is with him and his work before him. Praise be to God. Well, we know plagues and earthquakes come before he comes with the bride's reward, right? 
and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. People are going to seek out the bride, because the bride has known all of this was coming, and the bride was has been getting ready to meet the Lord. Amen. And a lot of people aren't. They're just getting ready to, they think, fly away or whatever, you know. 63 and 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom? That's those who factioned against their own brethren um, and against the throne of David. With dyed garments from Bozrah. That's Edom's sheepfold. That's what Bozrah means, sheepfold. Uh, This that is glorious in his apparel. That's the Lord coming. Traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Amen. So Jesus is coming to save the bride and reward her and bring judgment upon the wicked. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And there, that is uh, the factions in the church and state, which is what the Edomites represent, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Amen. Isaiah 64 and 1. Oh, that thou, that's Jesus, would rend the heavens that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, which is volcanic action because of the quakes. And when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil. You've probably seen pictures of that, the volcanic activity boiling the water, the molten lava going into the water. To make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. He's coming. And when thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, nobody's expecting all this to happen. Thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard nor perceived by the ear Neither hath the eye seen, O God, besides thee, uh, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Amen. There have been people who have been waiting for him. They've been getting prepared because they knew of his coming. And they're not the kind of coming that the apostate church talks about, by the way. He's coming in his people before he comes for his people, because no one hath ascended into heaven but he that descended out of heaven. Jesus in you is the one that's going up in the air, and that's not till the end of the tribulation. So we received by faith at random the very morning that we got this revelation. Haggai 2 and 5, According to the word that I covenanted with you, When you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remained among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once, it is a little while, 
and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, all nations. That's kind of like what happens when planet X passes by and there's an earth tide. You know, as the earth turns in the face of planet X, there's earthquakes that go around the world. And the desire of all nations shall come. That's Jesus. And I will fill this house with glory of Jesus, <laughs> saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, speak to Zerubbabel. Uh, that's the first fruits leadership man child whose name means born from Babylon will come to rebuild the kingdom. Amen. With Cyrus's help, right? Governor of Judah saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, which is happening now. The uh, militaries of the nations are overthrowing the deep state leadership in order to take part in this Nasara Jasara thing. Mm-hmm. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots. So he's likening this, even though this is a long time after the Red Sea, he's likening this to the Red Sea destruction of the beast kingdom that was trying to bring God's people into bondage. Right? I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. The Lord will come in Zerubbabel, a type of the man-child reformers, and destroy the deep state leadership of the countries uh, at a spiritual Red Sea destruction. And also, he is going to destroy the deep state in the church, which we call the faction. Okay? So in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I mean, the faction in the church and the faction in the government, they are one. They are the dragon that's seeking to devour the man-child and the woman. They will both be destroyed. Not necessarily all of the people. Some of them are going to repent and come out because they were just duped by their foolish uh, leadership. Verse 23, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, a signet is like a ring of authority, like Mordecai was given. It was taken away from Haman, who had authority to persecute, and it was given to Mordecai, who had authority to bring down Haman. Amen. And the man-child over the bride, Esther. That's who Mordecai was. For I have chosen thee, says the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 3, uh, 13 and 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. I've explained to you what I feel the Lord explained to me was there's two days of the Lord, one at the beginning, at the end of the persecution of the man, child, and bride, and the number two day of the Lord, and the big one, um, is at the end of the tribulation uh, when uh, the people of God have also gone through the same thing that the bride and the man-child has gone through, the dragon seeking to devour them. Okay, 
For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine, and I will punish the world for their evil. Let me say that they seem to want to block out anybody being able to see Planet X, and they've proven that they can do that. Uh, they've got a fleet uh, to do that, to block out the sun. And uh, so I don't know if that's it or whether it is the disasters that are coming in the face of Planet X, which will also try to block out the sun. I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Yes, we've been looking for that. That's definitely needed right now. Psalm 114 and 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, in other words, following the man-child Moses, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. So he dwelt in Judah, which is true, and he dwelt over Israel, which represents the church, which is true. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains, so we're, we're seeing here two things. Uh, the sea was driven back, the Red Sea was driven back, and Jordan, entering into the Promised Land, was driven back. Okay? So that's two uh, pictures there. You can almost slide them over the top of one another, you know? and see what's going on. Uh, transparencies, I should say. Okay. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams, <laughs> and the little hills like lambs. What aileth thee, O thou sea, talking about the Red Sea, that thou fleddest, and thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? Ye mountains that you skipped like rams, and you little hills like lambs. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord. There it is. Uh, the Red Sea is also this time of the earthquakes. Actually, the Red Sea was a time when Planet X was passing over, and uh, God used it to push the waters back. Anyway, at the... Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, into a standing water, the flint into a mountain of waters. So this sign shows that time is fast running out. The man-child is coming to choose the bride at the earthquakes uh, that are already prepared. Uh, in fact, this revelation I'm going to share with you, time is running out, given to Marie Kelton, 2, 8, and 23. The Lord gave me this open vision at night. I was asleep, but I woke up and I saw the Lord standing at the foot of my bed. He had a hooded white cloak on, so I could not see his face. The Lord was holding a pocket watch by the chain in his right hand. The arms on the watch uh, were moving really fast. I didn't think anything of it and tried to go back to sleep. I then saw the vision again, but this time the Lord was at the side of my bed where I was trying to sleep. 
And I thought the interpretation was, time is running out. Yes, I agree. Time is fast running out. The man-child is coming to choose the bride at the time of the earthquakes that are already being prepared, I should say. Okay. And then Vanessa Weeks received this on 2523. America, this is your last warning. Well, actually, since she received this, we've had some really tremendous strikes against America. All the poison poured out into the Ohio, going down to the Mississippi. Six states infected with this chemicals that the deep state prepared, you know. In a dream, I saw a rectangular piece of paper that was red and yellow. And this represents colors of warning, right? On the left upper part was the letter Z. Under this and to the right, in red, were these words. America, this is your last and final warning. So the letter Z is uh, the last letter in the English language. It equates to the omega symbol in the Greek. The letter Z represents the end just as the Omega represents the last, Jesus said in Revelation 21 and 6, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. And then Vanessa said, I knew in the dream that it was from China. As I read it, I thought Z is the last letter of the alphabet and that there have been many warnings. As I saw this, I was packing a sturdy and old-fashioned suitcase. Uh, and she puts packing to go into the wilderness. Okay. After I woke up, I was asking the Lord about this, and I opened my Bible, and it was at Psalm 91, and my eyes fell on, I will set him on high, in verse 14. This whole psalm is great about the Lord's protection of those in the secret place of the Most High. Amen. Well, this partial text that Vanessa got, I will set him on high, in verse 14, is right after the serpent threat is mentioned. So the righteous won't get bit if they're set on high, right? The serpent venom is in the vax poison, and it's also in the poison that they spray in the air. Um, so we received the same text as Vanessa in our morning prayer meeting on 2723. Psalm 91 and 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. How awesome. So, we got that confirmation, you know, of this revelation. Um, so I'll just read a little bit of Psalm 91 to you. Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. And, of course, that's where we need to be during all these judgments and during the time of the beast who wants to find and kill all Christians and so on and so forth, you know. 
secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, this is our confession, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Don't trust in man, trust in the Lord. Trusting in man has killed many people now already. For he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Amen. The deadly pestilence, it's it's everywhere out there now. He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth is a shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. That is, those that are abiding in the secret place of the Most High, Jesus Christ, right? For the presence that walketh in uh, darkness, the pestilence, excuse me, that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see what? The reward of the wicked. Hmm. Watch and see. For thou, O Lord, art my refuge. There it is. The confession of the Lord being the refuge is there again. And then it goes on to say, Thou hast made the Most High thy habitation. So those who believe in the Lord and abide in Him should confess His salvation. Amen. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, and they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou should dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent shalt thou trample under foot. Notice this. The serpent shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. So there it is, right before it, the serpent, right? Which is, of course, injections, right? He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Yeah. So I asked personally what uh, this dream was about and got by faith at random uh, Second Chronicles 22 and 7. And this was when Jehu, the man-child reformer, was wiping out the faction, the house of Ahab, and their allies. Isn't that amazing? Well, we know several who were responsible for the 2018 faction attack against us um, die of snake venom, according to the dreams. And uh, other factious people died of the plague according to other dreams. So this is definitely something the Lord has shown us, and uh, it will come to pass. 
Second Chronicles 22 and 7, in context 6 through 10. And he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which they had given him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. And, of course, he was an ally with him. And now the destruction of Ahaziah was of God, in that he went unto Jeram, for when he was come, he went out with Jehoram, against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. Big mistake. Okay. So the factious were going to come against, but um, Jehu took them down. And it came to pass when Jehu was executing judgment upon the house of Ahab that he found the princes of Judah and the sons of the brethren of Ahaziah, ministering to Ahaziah, and slew them. So he killed the rhinos too. (laughs) And he sought uh, Ahaziah, and they caught him. Uh, Now he was hiding in Samaria. And they brought him to Jehu, and slew him, and they buried him. For they said, He is a son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all of his heart. Yep, took down the rhinos, right? And the house of Ahaziah had no power to hold the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, that great Jezebel, (laughs) saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. All her grandchildren. Can you imagine what a vicious, evil devil this is? This is the faction, too, by the way. They destroy their families. They destroy their families. They have no care for them whatsoever. Uh, okay, supernatural protection from the earthquake, Samuel fire, one, four, twenty-three. In my dream I heard, don't hold your breath, don't count on it. James 4 and 14 says, whereas you know not what is your life on the morrow, for you are a vapor that appeareth for a little, and then disappeareth, and Isaiah 2 and 22. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? And then I heard, he said, uh, the enemy trembles at my approach. James 2 and 19. Thou believest that God is one, thou doest well. The demons also believe and shudder and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father's glory. Well, we know the Lord comes in his man-child in the midst of these great earthquakes. Isaiah 64, 1-4, right? Um, I felt and saw gigantic earthquakes happening worldwide so there you go the lord coming the the enemy trembles at his approach the bible says his recompense is before him and his reward is with him that's the reward of the bride for walking closely with the lord uh 
I felt and saw gigantic earthquakes happening worldwide. Uh, Tiana, David, and I were supernaturally excited the whole time. They were unaffected by the disasters, as we can see, and received the joy and the peace of the Lord. That's biblical. Read Isaiah. The end of the books of Isaiah are all about the blessing of the bride, the peace of the bride, going on and so forth. We were outside in an open area like a park, and all of the area was bouncing like it was on a trampoline. Buildings, houses, cars, and all things were thrown around and collapsing and completely broken all around us. But our stuff was fine, and we were in the Lord's rest. And then I woke up. Hmm. Okay. Well, here's one. The tsunami is a parable. This was Brian Hinton's revelation. He's a, a Hawaiian. One twenty-five, twenty-three. He said, years ago, I had a powerful vision from God of a tsunami that was going to hit Waikiki. Many people died in the city. There were lots of dead people laying on the streets. Me and a brother were clothed in sackcloth being sent out to preach the gospel. Sounds biblical, doesn't it? <laughs> I think this probably represents the two witnesses company uh, being sent out to preach repentance to the masses represented by uh, being clothed in sackcloth, right? Recently, I had a dream that I was at the Marriott Hotel where I am a fire dancer in Waikiki, the main city in Honolulu. Well, fire dancers, I believe, represent being skilled at handling fire as a type of judgment and being skilled at dodging it, too. <laughs> they are safe when almost anyone else who tried to do that would be burnt and clobbered, right? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, a tsunami was coming towards the city. I was on the rooftop looking for safety and crying out to God for one last chance to do my job. Amen. And this was terrifying in the dream. And then we were in a room looking out of a window, and I was warning a friend uh, of the incoming tsunami, and God said, You're scaring them. I'm going to fix it. <laughs> Uh, let's see, Second Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and of love and of discipline. And he went on to say, I asked, what should I say? Then an angel said, the word. The tsunami is a parable of the curse of the waters of Mara. Listen to that. It's a parable. Okay, um, Exodus Fifteen twenty-two through 26 And Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. Yeah, well, Mara means bitter or bitterness, right? When they first entered into the wilderness, 
which is the tribulation, according to Revelation 12 and 17. They came to Mara, meaning in Hebrew, bitter. James gives the interpretation of this parable as speaking of sweet and bitter words. Our bitter words bring the curse, but sweet words uh, learned from Scripture deliver from the curse. So, um, you might want to say this is the first revelation they needed to enter the tribulation. Confess the word of the Lord to be justified and to escape judgment. Amen. Well, this is uh, definitely necessary. Amen. I'll read this to you. James 3 and 6. And the tongue is a fire. You know, I, I see a lot of people cursing themselves because they're disagreeing with the Word of God and the promises of the Word of God. They're cursing themselves with their own tongue. The tongue is a fire. The world of iniquity among our members is the tongue, which defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the wheel of nature or the cycle of life, which is sowing and reaping, right? And is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and birds of creeping things and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It's a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. Amen. Therewith bless we the Lord and Father, and therewith curse we men. We are made after the likeness of God, who are made by the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth cometh forth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Doth the fountain send forth from the same opening sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, yield olives or a vine figs? Neither can salt water yield sweet. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good life his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and faction in your heart, notice that, glory not and lie not against the truth, notice that, because God knows if you've got jealousy and faction, you're going to lie. Okay? This wisdom is not wisdom that cometh down from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion and every vile deed. That's why God sent Jehu to destroy those factious people. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without variance and without hypocrisy. So, back to the revelation here. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which represents the cross. And he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. So the cross can deliver our tongue from speaking these things that are contrary to God's word and his promises, which brings us under a curse. Well, the man-child Moses turned uh, the bitter water sweet by the cross, right? Which uh, delivers from the curse. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them 
And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, that's what you do. You listen to his voice and you speak what he says. Don't add to or take away from his words because that brings you under the curse, right? And we'll do that which is right in his eyes, and we'll give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. I will put none of the diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. All these conditions, Lord. Amen. So this is a vision of uh, Nibiru, planet X, given to Julie, daughter of the king, 2723. On the night of February 6, 2023, I had a dream, or a night vision. My husband and I were in our home, and for some reason, we could not sleep that night. So we decided to sit on the front porch uh, swing. It was right around midnight. It was a very clear night, and we were looking at all the stars. Suddenly, every star in our line of sight was being pulled inward in a circular pattern from all sides. Sounds like uh, supergravity of something, right? It appeared the stars were being sucked into a vacuum, but as they moved towards the center of the force pulling them, they turned in a spiral or circular motion around a center point. Yes, the earth is shaken out of its place at this particular time, so this is very biblical. The other planets are too. Not that they won't go back. They may. But um, Then, after every star we could see was now spinning around a central focal point, a portal opened, and we could see inside We were looking at a very large red planet-like sphere, which we thought was Nibiru or Planet X. It was approaching quickly and menacingly. My husband and I then felt a rush or surge of supernatural presence, an anointing course through our bodies, and we jumped up from the swing and started praising and worshiping our Father and Savior, And we suddenly knew our final assignments had begun. Yes, this is the beginning. So uh, Planet X could cause uh, an earth tide, which would bring earthquakes around the world as it turned facing the destroyer. And it would pull the planets out of their normal orbits and so on. So pandemonium, right? While we gazed at Nibiru, a vision within the night vision dream then opened in front of me, and I was looking at the response of thousands upon thousands of people all over the world, all at once, like a movie playing out in front of me. Some people mocked the phenomenon as they looked up at the sky and dismissed what was happening as nothing. <laughs> The largest group of people collectively that I saw were screaming and running and yelling things like, This is the end. God is judging us. Yet the smallest group placed all over the world were the truth-seeking believers. I saw them, 
one or two here and there, and they were very few. But all were praising Father and thanking Him that the time had come for our next assignments. Yes, there are many waiting, and they've been prepared, and they're going to go forth. This is a time when the earth is crying out to God that they have never spoken to in many cases, or God that they haven't uh, paid any attention to in many cases. Okay. One of my daughters then came running out of the house and asked us what was happening. And we simply said, look up. We told her that everything we had been teaching her was finally coming to pass and that nothing would be the same again. And, of course, this fits with our last warning, you know. So that's the end of the vision uh, that she received, the night dream. As always, please pray for discernment, she says, about all things pertaining to prophecy and his word. I agree. Amen. Well, I'll just give a couple of verses she has here. Jeremiah 48 and 8 in the King James Version she has. And the spoiler shall come upon every city. No city shall escape. The valley also shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as the Lord has spoken. Matthew 24 and 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Well, you may think that that doesn't fit, but I will say this, um, that there are two great and terrible days of the Lord, as the Lord showed us. The first one is a mini one, and the second one is a much worse and larger one, which involves, um, you know, destroying nations who have come against God's people. Okay? So, um, blow you the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Well, we can see right now that the uh, deep state is making war on America, um, a war on its people, not a war with the military necessarily, but uh, they want to kill people, and uh, they're just as crazy as they can be, full of the devil. So, Father, we thank you for bringing them down. We thank you, Lord, that this is going to restore the fear of the Lord to your people. And that um, this great shaking is going to judge the wicked, as you have said in these revelations. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your your justice coming forth. Uh, For uh, I don't believe the alliance could possibly bring down this enemy like you will, Lord. You will get the glory for this in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Just like at the Red Sea, the people of the lands heard everything that happened, how when they went through the Red Sea, the Lord parted it and took down the whole army that was chasing them. Praise be to God. Amen. As we can see, the Red Sea is also applied to the Babylonian situation, too. So we're going to see just such a performance 
in our day, which will give glory to God. All right, saints, God bless you and keep you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll do this again. Stay tuned for Michael. He's going to uh, share a revelation. And, uh, Father, we please bless Michael and bless all of them that listen and uh, pour forth of your spirit upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again on this nice day in February. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you and I glorify you for the things that you've laid out for us to walk in this sanctified life, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that uh, not only have you laid it out for us, you help us overcome the things that have uh, uh, hindered our walk with you, Lord. <clears throat> and I praise you, Father, that you are bringing us into that holy, sanctified walk that you want us in so you can use us mightily in the days ahead. Thank you, Father. Glory be to God. And we praise you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in us. Well, amen, folks. Uh, today I'd like to talk about uh, warfare, the kingdom style. You know, death to self comes as we repent day to day. And that comes as we read the Word of God and realize what the will of God is for us. That word repentance means to change your mind. And when we read the Word, that old man dies and that new man that new creation comes to life because the new man is the word bearing the fruit of Jesus in our soul. Galatians 5 and 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary the one to the other that you may not do the things that you would. Folks, there's a war going on because the flesh and the spirit are enemies. This flesh representing the old man has to die. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now, the death of the flesh includes the mind of the flesh and speaks of the soul of man. And we're told that the flesh is contrary to his way and his will. Romans 8 verse 7 says, Because the mind of the flesh is enmity or enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The mind of the Lord nature, which is the mind of the fallen man, the mind of the old man, that's the enemy of God. And we know that when we submit to the word of God, we die to this old self. And Jesus' teachings concerning this non-resistant submission to governments, loving your enemy, turning the other cheek and on and on, are very crucified. But they're commanded of the Lord. And as we obey him, he's going to come to be manifested in each one of us. And one of the biggest problems is 
that God's people have a problem discovering where the kingdom of the world stops and the kingdom of heaven starts. So we really need to delineate that very explicitly with the word of God. John chapter 18 verse 36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Well, in the old covenant, Jews had a natural kingdom, a physical kingdom. But in the new covenant, it's not that way. It's a spiritual kingdom. Theirs was a very worldly kingdom. They were wrestling with flesh and blood. But folks, our battles are with the principalities and powers of Ephesians 6 and 12. Jesus said that his servants wouldn't fight even to deliver him from death or from the Jews or from the beast kingdom. And that was the Roman Empire at that time. His servants wouldn't fight because they were defending a different kind of kingdom and they were using a different kind of sword, folks. And we know the principle that Jesus went to his cross physically as a type and a shadow of us going to our cross, spiritually speaking. Matthew 16, verse 24 said, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Except we take up our cross and follow him, except we lose our life, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that word life there is suke in the Greek. Not the physical life, but it's our soulish life. So in order to walk in his steps, we have to follow Jesus' physical crucifixion by going to our spiritual crucifixion of this self-life, this flesh life. And part of that is submitting to his word, even when it disagrees with our worldly desires. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But since his kingdom is not a worldly kingdom at all, his servants don't fight, even to defend him or to defend themselves. However, we got one who does fight for us, don't we? Matter of fact, his power is a whole lot greater than anything that we could carry on our person. And if you remember, Jesus told his disciples, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted help? You don't have to bring out that puny little old sword. You know how many how many 12 legions of angels there are? Now, Roman legion was between 4,500 and 6,000 men. And we got angels too. If we depend on God, his power is made perfect in our weakness. If we want to see the power of God to defend us, then we have to quit trying to defend ourselves. <clears throat> now, what kind of kingdom is Jesus talking about? Peter said, but ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And he's speaking here to those that are born again. He says, he begat us again. And then verse 3 says, those who are born again belong to this holy nation. And that word holy means separate, sanctified, separated from the world. All of God's born again people are one holy nation that covers the whole globe. And we know that God is not a respecter of person. Verse 9. But ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that ye may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said that they're a royal priesthood. And we know that this is spiritual and not physical because of what verse 5 said. Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're spiritual priests. We offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And as a chosen generation, we are a spiritual kingdom and not a physical kingdom whatsoever. And the Lord has told us in the New Testament that he's not a respecter of person. It doesn't make any difference whether he's talking about Jews or Gentiles. He uses that phrase. And when he's talking about servants and master, he uses it as well. He's not a respecter of person because he judges everybody just alike. Now read what Peter said to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is acceptable to him. Out of all nations, God has made one nation of those who are born again. And by the way, this nation is still called Israel. And as we see in Romans 11, those who walk by faith have been grafted into that olive tree that's called all Israel. We are now Jews according to the Spirit, and we're now priests who offer spiritual sacrifices. And the most important of which is that we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means we offer this body up to serve the Lord and not to serve ourselves. And in this manner, our reason rails against the fact that the Lord does not permit us to go along with the world by warring with one another or to defend ourselves with any kind of weapon or anything like that. Because he's told us to submit to the governments and authorities around us, which in some cases doesn't sit well with our reasons especially when they're so contrary to the ways of the kingdom. But he says it, and we do it, because we've decided that God knows more than we do, don't doesn't he? James chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My brethren, hold not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Verse 9, But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. And the Bible also warns us in Second Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 16, Wherefore, 
we henceforth know no man after the flesh. It don't make any difference what nation the Christian comes from. They're our brethren. As a matter of fact, they are our brethren, but the natural people around us that don't know who God is. Many times Christians make alliances and allegiance with the wicked people around them, the anti-Christ people around them. But folks, that's not our kingdom. We are to know no man after the flesh. We know we don't know anyone by skin color, nationality, or tongue, because we're all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians tells us there are no physical attributes attributes that God accepts. He only wants born again people. He don't make any difference what they look like. He wants people that love Him. The Lord said that His kingdom is quite different than the physical kingdom. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God comes, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. Now, what were they expecting? Folks, they were expecting a physical kingdom. And a lot of Christians really think this is a kingdom today, a kingdom of some religious organization of people on earth. There ain't nothing that we can look at. That's the kingdom of God. Not our church building, not our preacher. Everything we're looking at is not the kingdom of God. It is the born again man that is the kingdom of God and doing the works of Jesus. Verse 21, neither shall they say, lo here or there, for lo, the kingdom of God is within you. And that's what the numeric version said. But it's a strange thing that the phrase within you can also be translated in the midst of you. And as a matter of fact, in the footnote, the numeric version says that either one of these translations has a numeric pattern because it means both of those things. It means in the midst of you, as in among the disciples, between the disciples. And it also means within you is the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 says, Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why I said, no, not your pastor, because the man you're looking at there is not going to inherit the kingdom. It's the spiritual man on the inside. He's even going to get a new body to inherit the kingdom if he's born again and serving the Lord bearing fruit. So there's nothing physical It's the spiritual that counts. And in the spiritual kingdom of God, we fight with the spiritual methods. We have powerful weapons that the world doesn't know anything about that it can't resist. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. Their weapons are useless against the weapons of our warfare because they're not fleshly or carnal. They're all spiritual. A lot of people fear that if they give up their right to defend themselves or their country, God's not going to be able to take care of them. Well, Twelve legions of angels are at his disposal. And if he just sends one to be by your side, and we know that from scriptures you have at least one, 
that one could kill 185,000 men. So I believe that angel can take care of you, don't you? And the more we learn to put our faith in him, the more we see that our puny weapons are worthless and that we should make any allegiances with nations that are not our nation. Many people lean upon patriotism to a natural nation, which is not God's kingdom and not of God's kingdom. And that's a very dangerous and foolish thing to do. In fact, it says we're all just strangers passing through. Hebrews 11 and 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. <clears throat> and that's the New Testament promises. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This earth is passing away, but our kingdom is eternal. Folks, we're not supposed to pledge our allegiance to this world. For Verse 14 says, For they that say such things make it manifest that they are seeking after a country of their own. And that means, of course, that if we're just strangers and pilgrims, this is not our country. We're seeking after one that is our own. Verse 15, And if indeed they had been mindful of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Do you know that a lot of people do return to bondage? They return to allegiances to nations that are not their nation. Folks, we belong to one nation, and it's worldwide, and it's a spiritual nation. But it's a real nation, and we are spiritual priests at that spiritual house with spiritual sacrifices. Verse 16 of Hebrews 11 says, But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed of them to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed of those who don't claim that this world is their home or that this nation is their nation, but who claim citizenship of the nation, which is spiritual, whose spiritual city, the New Jerusalem, is their capital. For the rest who are members of the world who have united themselves with the world, it's a different story. Now, I know that God's grace covers our ignorance, and thank God for that. We're very ignorant, but God, by his mercy and by his grace, forgives us, and that's great. But when we get knowledge and understanding, we have to do something with it. This relates to what we're talking about here. If we don't act on what we see here to become a holy nation, and that means separate or sanctified nation, then God's ashamed of us. We see this separation here in Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, would you go out and fight for the world? Would you defend an anti-Christ kingdom? And that's what the Bible says you'd be doing. Would you go out and kill the devil's servants for the devil? That happens too, because we have brothers and sisters all over the world, and some of them are ignorant. And some of them are in foreign militaries, and they think they're fighting patriotically for their country. But it, you can look in the scriptures that that's not so. We have one country, and we are ambassadors for that country. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness and iniquity? 
Even what the world calls good people are not our brothers and sisters. We've got a holy nation, and it's a separate nation. Verse 14 again. Or what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And if you're fighting for a nation of this world, guess who the God of this world is? Who is it who calls nations to go out and kill each other by the thousands and hundreds of thousands? You don't think that's righteous, do you? Folks, we've been deceived about this. When we join with the world against the world, we're leaving our kingdom. Verse 15, or what portion hath a believer with an unbeliever? 16, and what agreement hath a temple of God with idols? For we are a temple of the living God, even as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, what's he talking about? What does it mean to yoke with the unbeliever? Well, obviously, you can do that with war, politics, marriage, business. And we can do it in a lot of ways, but God said, don't do it. Now, you can try to write reason your way out of it, or you can seek to do his will. Listen, folks, I understand that sometimes a person comes into this knowledge and they're already yoked in a situation like that. And we can be unequally yoked in a marriage. And God says not to leave them because how do we know that they might not be saved or sanctified through our faith? First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 16 says, For how knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O husband, whether thou shalt save thy wife? We can't tell a Jew by looking at the flesh anymore. They might be one of those chosen from the foundation of the world, but we have to wait and see. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15 says, Yet if the unbelieving departs, let him depart. And we're not bound in such a case. After acquiring the knowledge, you don't want to enter into an unequally yoked situation like this. You can go ahead and get married, but you can only marry in the Lord, as it says in First Corinthians 7. Concerning politics, there's people out there that say, I'm a Republican. Oh, really? Wouldn't you just rather stand for the Lord, or wouldn't you rather do what he wants you to do? And besides, he's going to, <clears throat> he going to install the kind of government he wants anyway. And most of the time, they're vessels of dishonor, not vessels of honor. And that's to fulfill his will. Especially when you're talking about an end-time beast government that God is putting together in order to chasten his people to bring them to their cross because they refuse to go. So you see, God doesn't necessarily want good vessels in the government to do that, but many people are deceived into thinking that they can vote in godly people. It had never worked that way because it's not God's plan. So with politics, with war, should we become unequally yoked with a bunch of people who are anti-Christ to go and kill other people for the devil? Folks, there is no physical warfare in our kingdom. It's all spiritual warfare. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Why would we reunite 
why will we go back to the country from which we are coming out? As Paul told us, God is not ashamed to call his children and himself our God. If we're looking for that spiritual country, we're not pledging allegiance to a wicked nation of this world. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And some people think that that's just talking about the harlot. Well, that's part of it, because the harlot is a worldly church. They've got more affinity for the world than they do for the Lord. But it's also talking about coming out of the world. If you look at the text, it says, Make no allegiances with the world. And in verse 17, And touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. How many of you want the Lord to receive you in all things? But you're not willing to give up the world to do it. Verse 18, And will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And if you'll notice, sonship comes to those who become separated from the world. Sometimes God will separate us from allegiance to the world and being unequally yoked. And we ought to accept it when the Lord does that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15 says, Yet if the unbelieving departs, let him depart. Well, that's an example, but Paul goes even deeper in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're not to join with the world in their bitterness, in their anger, in their lust against it other nations, because we don't know anybody after the flesh. We don't have an allegiance to one man who is maybe one color or maybe one nationality against another man, because the Lord is no respecter of persons, and we're also forbidden to do that. James said it was a sin. We don't hold one man more valuable than another man, especially when referring to a bunch of lost people in the world, they all belong to one another. But when we come into the kingdom, we're a one holy nation worldwide, and God has called us to be separate in order for us to be sons of God. Praise God forevermore. Well, that's some of you out there around and say, that's real radical there. Well, no, it's been there all the time. We're just reading the black and white here. There's nothing really hidden about this. First John 5 and 19 says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the evil one. All of the world, or what men call good people, and what men call bad people, they're all in the devil, all in the evil one. And he is the God of this world. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 said, We are in the world. But we're not of the world, according to what Jesus said. We're just passing through on our way to an eternal kingdom. And God doesn't appreciate it when we make allegiances and alliances with the wicked. He wants us to be separated. And that's made real plain here in 1 John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. But prove the spirits, whether they are of God. 
because many false prophets are gone out into this world, into the world. So he's talking about the spirits of people here. Verse 2, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Now he's talking about the spirit of God in people. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming to the flesh is of God. You know, when we run into the spirit in a person that confesses that Jesus is in that flesh, that's the spirit of God. Verse 3, and every spirit that confesses not Jesus is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it comes, and now it is in the world already. A lot of people got that theology. But every time the word Antichrist is mentioned in the scriptures, it's not talking about an individual. In every case, it's talking about the corporate body of all lost mankind. Antichrist is as close to us as the next pagan or the next lost person. Verse 4, ye are of God, my little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4 and 5, they are of the world, therefore speak they as of the world, and the world hears them. There is he that is in you and he that is in the world. These are two nations, the nation of the world and the nation of God's people. Verse 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. He who is not of God hears us not. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The whole world, Jesus said, is going to hate us. All nations are going to hate us. And the reason God is going to do that is to get God's people to join together. In what way can God's people come to realize that the kingdom they live in and have patriotism toward is not the kingdom of God? Other than by turning it to hate them. And God will, for his namesake, turn the whole world to hate his people. He caused the Egyptians' heart to hate his people. And in these days, God is going to do the same thing because God's people don't know that this world is not God's kingdom and that they will never build God's kingdom in America or any other place, as far as that's concerned. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And God's people has to realize who the enemy is. There's he that's in us and there's he that's in the world, who is Satan in the body of all lost mankind. And he that is in us is Christ from heaven. The beef from the pit is in the lost. And Christ from heaven is growing in every born again believer. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me in Matthew 12 and 30. That's anti or against, anti-Christ. The whole world lieth in the evil one. Scripture says, Satan is the God of this world. Would you be patriotic for a nation overwhelmingly made up of anti-Christ people? Don't you realize those are the devil's people? No, we're not here to judge them, but we're here to bring them the gospel, to offer them the grace of the kingdom and find out 
which among them is chosen of God. We are to be separate, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness in Ephesians 5 and 11. And fellowship means having in common. It means giving and receiving. We are not to receive the things of this wicked world. We have fellowship with the world a lot of time when we're just sitting there feeding on that old TV because we're polluting ourselves with the world. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6 says, A little leaven, leaven is the whole lump. God wants us to have fellowship or having in common with his word, fellowship with Jesus Christ. And once a person is joined patriotically to the world, they're joined to a spirit that has murdered as many people as religion has. Did you know that those were the two major killers of people is religion and patriotism? Some of you might be saying out there right now, well, I never thought of it that way. No, some of you probably mad even. But it don't make any difference. This is the word of God. Straight out of the word, it says that we need to separate from this wicked world. They live according to their lust. They war against other nations because they think they have a right to. God says we don't have a right to. We're to love our enemies. That's what he commanded. We're to offer them the gospel, not a sword. Well, what does it mean to worship the image of the beast? We see the image of the beast in Daniel chapter 3 and a revelation of it in Daniel chapter 2. It's all the nations of the lost people of the world in one image of a corporate man. There's the Antichrist right there. Are we members of that? Are we patriotic toward that? First John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the vainglory of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. The eternal life has to do with our doing the will of God. And some of these things that we're looking at, are not very popular, but they will separate us from the world. And that's what's necessary to be sanctified. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, follow after peace with all men and the sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. Sanctification is the process of separating us from the world, from sin, from evil, and from these antichrist people around us into the kingdom of God. The one holy nation that does not recognize race, creed, or nationality. And obviously, when we get fully into the kingdom of God, into heaven, we're going to have so many brothers and sisters that we're going to be glad for the variety that's there. God is, because he created all of them. There's going to be a lot of young men that has gone out and died for a nation because of the vainglory of life, as he tells us in verse 16. And they think they're they're going to have great glory fighting for this world, but there's no glory in it. It's contrary to God's way. It's contrary to his nature. He hates it. The people who are being killed are the very people that we're supposed to be offering eternal life to. And yet we're sending them off to an eternal damnation. What are we here for? 
Wars don't come from God. James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Whence come wars? And whence come fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your pleasures that war in your members? Folks, there are no just wars. We are not to go to war along with the world. If we want to enter the spiritual eternal kingdom of God and not have God be ashamed of us. But if we're going to war with the world after we've received knowledge, God's ashamed of us. Now, I'm not saying that God's condemning our forefathers here in America for the wars that they fought. The great thing about God is to him, therefore, that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin, James 4 and 17. But, you know, the Lord wants us to grow up today. So when we look at these things, he wants us to act on them. And it doesn't matter that our forefathers fought and died to give freedom to America. That ain't got nothing to do with what God's doing with us right now. He's creating sons of God in these days. Jesus, the son of God, can't even be imagined as taking up a weapon and fighting for natural Israel. As a matter of fact, when he prophesied, he prophesied judgment on natural Israel and talked about the beast kingdom encompassing them about destroying them. And he was on God's side. And that's where we have to be, on God's side. That doesn't make any difference what nation we come. We have to be on God's side. What does God think? What does he want? James 4 and 2 says, you lust and have not. You kill and covet, and cannot obtain. People fight over land. They fight over all. They fight over what they think is injustices. And they war with other nations and kill thousands of people. And the sad thing is, the political Christians today don't understand that that's all of the devil. And they're pushing for it. Verse 2, ye fight and war, ye have not because you ask not. Whatever we need, just ask God. Mark eleven twenty four says, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. Or what do we need to take away from anybody else? Why is it that people need the world anyway? What's wrong with the simple life? People lust after so much. Wars come from it because people lust after things they couldn't have, they could have for the asking. And God will take care of it. James chapter four and verse three, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may spend it in your pleasures. Ye adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? What's he called the friendship of the world? Well, it's those who go out and fight with the world. Verse 4, Whosoever therefore would be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And if we're going to go out and make an unholy alliance with the wicked world, we become the enemy of God because now we become a member of the body of the Antichrist. We want to be separated, sanctified, from the wicked world having no relation, no fellowship or relationship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And people say, well, what am I supposed to do if somebody attacks my family? 
Am I supposed to just stand there and look at them? And, or am I supposed to do something physical to take care of this? Here's the words of Jesus in Matthew 26 and 52. Then saith Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. They thought they were just defending the family, didn't he? He called them transgressors. In Luke 22, those who took the sword were transgressors. All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword, it says. That doesn't sound like you're taking care of your family. That sounds to me like you're coming across fighting against God. Ultimately, it's going to cost you. 53, or thinkest thou that I cannot beseech my father and he shall even now send me more than 12 legions of angels? Does God promise to protect us with his angels? Well, no, not if we protect ourselves. God says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. We don't ever get to see God defend us until we quit defending ourselves. And basically, that that's what he's saying right here. What did God say about the angels defending his people? Psalm 91.10 says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent, for he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Well, glory to God. He's given us some protection, hadn't he? And he's talking about those who are in the secret place of the Most High, those who are abiding in Christ. Well, how do we abide in Christ? By obeying his command. 1 John 2, 24 says, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you heard from the beginning abide in you, you also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. What we heard from the beginning is that which is written in this book right here, these commands and that we've been talking about it. And if we abide in the Son, he promises that his angels will take charge over us to keep us. Psalm 91, 12. They shall bear thee up in their hands unless thou dash thy foot against a stone. We can't even have an accident when we're abiding in Christ. And if you'll notice that they will protect you, they will keep you. And if you ask, but what if somebody attacks? Well, you're denying what the Lord says. You're denying what the word of God says real plain. Verse 13, thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent shalt thou trample underfoot. Well, that seems like a pretty dangerous thing to do, doesn't it? It's a good way to get bitten if you're not working with the Lord. But we're talking about the protection of God for those who abide in him. Think about Daniel and the lions did. Why did God close the mouths of lions? Because Daniel was abiding in the secret place. And would he only do that for Daniel? No, Psalm 91, 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Who is it who loves the Lord? Those who keeps his commandments. You see, unless you have obeyed these things that you're looking at, you love the Lord, and you're abiding in the secret place of the Most High, you've never seen how God can defend you. Now, don't think about what things happen in the world as if you're in the world. Don't compare yourself with the world. If you want to see God defend you, stop defending yourself. His power is made 
perfect in weakness. Second Corinthians 12 and 9 says, and, and Psalms 91 and 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. God holds your faith and your trust in him very highly. But not all the what ifs that the devil can put into our mind. Verse 18, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wasn't Jesus saying this when he was speaking to Peter? Put up your sword. All they that take the sword are going to die by the sword. Don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? So what kind of puny defense is a sword or a gun? How many people get killed with their own swords and their own guns? But we're not taking any chances when we lean on God. You know that, don't you? We can lean on the medical profession and die of all sorts of things, even when their medicine might kill us. Some people think, oh, I'll take chances. I need to trust in my gun. You need to trust in the Lord. You're taking a chance on either way. Wouldn't you rather have a defense like this, like Psalm 34 and 7? The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivereth him. You might not even have a chance to get your gun. You know, I remember a testimony of a man a few years ago who picked up a hitchhiker. And that guy shot him three times, point blank, and he was never touched by the bullets. They never could find the bullets. Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Folks, we just need to taste and see, don't we? Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. And if you're trusting in yourself, you're not taking refuge in him. You hadn't put your trust in him. Now, God will guide you around a lot of these things that happen to the wicked. Folks, we have a Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ. The Passover lamb is for us to be delivered from the curse on this world. The death angel, the curse, passed over the Israelites who had the blood on their doorposts. But the death angel destroyed the Egyptians all around them. And if we're really going to be believers... We don't need to listen to these horror stories that happen to the world because it normally happens to the world. They're Egyptians. We have a Savior, and part of our covenant is deliverance. Now, I know that not everybody partakes of all the covenant. They'll take a part, bits and pieces here and there, and then the part that they believe, they partake of. But the part that they don't believe doesn't do them any good. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge or lack of understanding. God's people are destroyed because they don't agree with this word. Many are trusting in their ability to shoot straight or to have enough ammunition stored up in the house. And who, who are they holding off? Folks, you better get ready for the church to come against us. We better get ready for this beast government to come against us when we don't take their mark. 
Forget about the Russians. They're coming. But they're coming to take care of the Americans who persecute the Christians. That's how it's going to happen. But the angel of the Lord, he campeth round about them that fear him. That guy's liable to blow himself up over there with all of that guns and ammunitions and whatever. It might be that his wife falls out with him and just takes on him guns and shoot him. At any rate, if we trust the Lord, there ain't nothing that man can do. If we put our faith and our trust in him and abide in the secret place of the Most High. So we shouldn't listen to all these horror stories. What if? What if? Folks, that's just the devil. We have something sure here to depend upon. The, the Lord says that we have these angels round about us. They won't even let us dash our foot against a stone. They'll protect us in the days to come because you can trust it in God to do what his word says. The Bible says the angels are mighty in Psalms 103, but I'm not trusting in angels. I'm trusting in the Lord, right? Psalms 103 and 19, the Lord hath established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. How many of you know that we have to be entitled to these words to be fulfilled on us and for us? We have to walk by faith so that when the angels hearken unto the voice of his word, they are ministering spirits sent forth to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation. Hebrews 1 and 14 said. Psalm 103, 21 says, Bless the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all ye his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Lord God Almighty is our Savior in everything, and he will defend us and keep us. Jesus laid down his life, but no one took his life. John chapter 10, verse 17 said, Therefore doth the Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. And no one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of myself. When they tried, what did he do? He just passed through their midst, it says. The Lord told us that bodily translation is going to be common in the days to come. The angels told us that. Can you imagine if you're not able to buy and sell or get on a jet plane to go from here to there? what God's going to do to get his gospel all over the world. He said it's going to happen. Folks, he can translate you into trouble, and he can translate you out of trouble. We heard a testimony not too long ago that was in Africa. This was a minister that was in Africa, and he was being run after by a witch doctor, and God snatched up that witch doctor and threw him over in the midst of the deep, dark wood, and it took him a week to get out of there. How many of you know God can protect you? He can take the enemy out, or he can take you out, or he can just stop the bullets, but he can protect you. So we need to put our trust in him to find out what that's like. You know, we're in the minority here as the people who trust in God. All the horror stories, all the statistics that you hear are overwhelmingly about what happens to pagans. Find some statistics about those who trust in the Lord. 
That's a real small group of people. Because even most Christians don't trust in the Lord. We need to find out what that's like. Because we're coming to the most dangerous time in all of history. It's right here, folks. Jesus said, you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Matthew 24, 9. God's raising up a great enemy. And we're going to need to know how to walk in that secret place of the Most High. We're going to need to know how to put our trust in the Passover lamb so the death angel will pass over no matter what. Every one of you out there who is a born-again child of God, you have an angel whose job it is to protect you. And believe me, there's not a man on this earth who can do anything to you without God's will. Well, God bless you, saints. I'm out of time. I pray that you be full of faith and seek out what it is to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you next time, God willing. Glory to God. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh, Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus, oh Jesus, I trust in you, I trust in you.